Amen. Yes, so as Ryan said, we are in Revelation chapter 15 and 16 today. It, it does get a little more difficult, but what we see at the beginning of these chapters, then you can easily find these chapters. The Revelation is the very last book in your Bible if you want to get there. It, we see a group of people in these chapters who are resisting the beast. The beast is one we talked about in the past couple of weeks, and we see a group of people resisting him, and ultimately, they are, they are going to have victory over him. And as a result, they can't help but worship the God that has given them power to resist. They can't help but worship the God that has given them strength to, to resist and overcome. They can't help but to worship. And, I'm, and I, I say that today to encourage you. I don't know what your week has looked like. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know what kind of things are coming against you right now, but I want to encourage you that the same God who gave these people the power to resist, the same God that has given these people the strength to overcome is the same God who today will give you the strength to resist, and the same God that is giving you the power to overcome whatever it is that is facing you as well. And that God is so worthy of worship, and that is how these people begin here, is they begin with worship. Their heart is overflowing with worship to this God. And, and so my heart, and I hope your heart today, as we begin these difficult chapters, will echo the words that we see coming from these people where John records this. He says they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. And this is what they sang. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous deeds have been revealed. So I want to just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for being a God who does give us strength, who does give us power. And Lord, we lean into that today. And we give you all praise, all honor, all glory in this place, Lord Jesus. We love you. Help guide us now. Open our hearts and minds to your word, please. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You know, it, I wish Revelation chapter 15 and 16 would, would, would continue to be filled with praise, but unfortunately, it's, it's quite the opposite that's happened. And even though these next verses, they're filled with some difficult things, I, I hope that this morning that we all can kind of walk away with, with a newness, a, a, a fresh vision, a fresh heart of what God's Word is saying here. And I want to challenge you, if you have some questions about this stuff as we get into some muddy waters, if things get difficult and you're thinking, well, I really want, I have some tough things I want to ask, please email me. That is ryan at thechapel.family. <laughs> I encourage you to send me all those tough questions at that. Um, this is, this is how we want to start today, though. It starts in chapter 15, verse 1, and he says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. You know, up until this point, we've seen God's judgment kind of play out in some 
some eye-opening ways. And and as we look ahead in chapter 16, we're going to see the completion, thankfully, of these judgments in the form of what we call bold judgments. They're called bold judgments because of what happens in verse 7. It says, Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And what you notice here in these verses is that, that, that we see John equates God's judgment with God's wrath. Uh, honestly, though, when we hear that word wrath, it doesn't bring great emotions. At least it doesn't to me. Because when I hear the word wrath, we think of things like, like anger or, or, or rage, fury. Those, those are things that we, we link to the word wrath. And so because of that, many people will say, well, this is just proof that God is an angry God, that God is an unfair God. And I say, oh, the opposite is true here. The opposite is true because we need God to express his judgment. We need God to punish the wrongdoings that are, that are taking place. We need God to be fair and just. This proves that he is loving. And honestly, don't we desire God to be uh, just? Don't we desire his judgment towards, towards the sin and the, and, the, and the difficulties that are happening in this life. We, we desire that. We want that. This is proof of his love and his care for us. Because if it weren't for God's judgment, then we would, we would serve a God that was apathetic. Well, if we served a God that was apathetic, then that would simply mean that, that anything we did or didn't do didn't matter. How we live our lives doesn't matter. It's all meaningless if God is apathetic. But he is not. He is just and he is righteous. His wrath is full of glory. He is holy. And those who have not followed, chosen to follow Jesus, those who have said, you know what, I don't need God, I can live my life on my own terms. I can do whatever I want without him. Those who have persecuted Christians, those who have mocked God, those who have done all of those things, chapter 16, verse 6 says, you know what, they get what they deserve. They deserve no one. There's not one person who will call God unfair on the day of judgment, the evidence is too overwhelming against us. God is just, and he is the just judge of the universe. In fact, N.T. Wright, he's an author and a speaker and pastor, he puts it this way, he says, justice is a manifestation of God's love. It's all about God putting everything right in the end. And so with these bold judgments that we're going to see, God executes his justice for what has been done wrong since the beginning of time. We go all the way to the beginning, and he will put things right in the end. So there are seven bold judgments that we see in Revelation. I'm putting on the screen here the seven. We're not going to have time 
today in the few minutes we have to talk through all of these seven. We're going to hit just three of them, so I don't know if you want to snap a picture of this screen or something real quick so that maybe this week when you're doing your own personal chair time with the Lord, you can spend some time in some private study if you'd like to do that. So we're just going to hit a couple of these judgments or bold judgments. What you'll see here is is the scripture reference where we find each of these bold judgments, what the judgment is, and then you're going to see a reference to an Old Testament passage that these judgments are are anchored in, and we're going to see then what sin God is punishing as a result here. And so again, we're not going to look at all seven, but let's look at a couple of these. Let's look at, for instance, bowl number one. Bowl number one has to do with these sores. In fact, it says in verse two this. It says, so the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. The first bowl here that we see being poured out is a result. It results in these awful sores, it says. A reference to, to a plague that occurred in Egypt, yes, but also a reference to the story of Job. If you remember the story of Job, at the beginning, Satan comes to God and Satan says, look God, the only reason your servant Job is remaining faithful to you is because you're protecting him. And God says, nah, I don't agree with you. And so God allows Satan to, to tempt Job. And so Satan goes after Job by, by first giving him and allowing these painful sores to develop on his skin. And what we see here in Revelation chapter 16, verse 2, is the same kind of painful sores. Only God gives these sores to those who have turned their back on God. And they, they have turned their back in order to follow Satan. And this is key because we know who these people are because it says in verse 2 that they will have the mark of the beast. Now here's where we get into some muddy waters. So uh, bear with me. I, I just want to address this for, for a second. The, the mark of the beast. And, and obviously we can't spend all morning on this, but I want to get a, a, a bit of a working definition for, for what this is. And I, I, I want to look at Scripture to see what does this say about it, because I, I don't want to get this wrong at all. I definitely don't want to spread some misinformation. So, so let's start with this, this working definition. In Revelation, we find out that, that God's people, God's people are marked with a seal to show that they belong to Jesus, because they follow Jesus. If you are a Christ follower, if you've said, yes, Jesus is my Lord, I want to follow him with my life, I believe I've given him, I've made him leader of my life, he is my king, he is my Lord, then you are sealed, you are marked for Jesus. However, the opposite is true when we look at the mark of the beast. It marks those people who have purposefully said and chosen, I don't want Jesus, I'm going to follow Satan. I'm rejecting Jesus. There's no gray area here. This is black and white. Those who are following Jesus are marked with a seal. Those who have said no are marked 
by the mark of the beast. There's no in-between. They're very distinct marks with two very distinct purposes. And yes, I want to learn as much about the mark of the beast as I can. Yes. Of course, it is good to find out as much as we can about it. Yes, of course. However, if you're a Christ follower in this room, can I, I just want to challenge us for a second. Because as good as it is that we learn as much about this as possible, I admit sometimes it feels like, as Christ followers, we are pointing to things constantly in our day and in our age, and we're labeling them as the mark of the beast. I'm not going to lie. It's almost weekly. I have people ask me, do you think this is the mark of the beast? Do you think this is the mark of the beast? And I go, well, well hey, let's, let's, let's see, what does Scripture say about this? We need, we, need to, we need to know, because all throughout history, people have wondered, Christ followers have suggested that certain things have been the mark of the beast. Remember, even in, in my generation, if you're younger, you might not remember, but most of us, I would think, would, uh, uh, the year 2000, Y2K? Remember, that was the year of the apocalypse. Christians were for sure that these apocalyptic prophecies would finally happen. I, I, I remember I, was, um, I, was, I, I mowed the lawn for a little old lady uh, during that time, and I remember she had set up a swimming pool in her basement to, to bottle water because she was convinced that the apocalypse was happening. I only bring that up because it's 2021. We're still here. <laughs> I, I, I kind of I ingest, but at the same time, I say, Christians, we, we as Christ followers need to be careful with this. We need to be careful because if we're not, we're going to be like this boy who cried wolf. Remember that story? The boy who told the townspeople, the wolf's attacking the sheep, the wolf's attacking the sheep. Until finally one day, the wolf actually did attack the sheep, and no one believed him. No one came to save them because they thought it was just another false alarm. I just want to be careful that as Christ followers, we are not going to be like the boy who cried wolf. It's, it's, we can't say for certain that, that something happening around the, the world here is, is proof of the mark of the beast. And so if we keep saying this thing or that thing and it doesn't happen, we mislead people using God's word, and it's clear this can't happen. The other thing I would love to say about this is it, 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 we can't pick and choose verses to apply to this out of context. And this, and this is what I mean. The mark of the beast um, is truly happening, and then we're going to see other things happening simultaneously. Remember in Revelation chapter 13, verse 13, we saw the fire that is going to fall from heaven. Eventually, in, in this verse that we're reading now, we're going to see these painful sores. These are things that happen either simultaneously or prior to the mark of the beast showing up. Other things in Revelation must happen in sequence. Things have to happen before this takes place. So, so we have to be careful. I, 
I, I say all this stuff to say, okay, yes, please, we need to learn, we need to continue to learn. I want to be aware. I want to I be smart. I, I want to, to always be on guard and be on alert. Of course, that is good. Be educated, yes. But my challenge to us as Christ followers is could we be like those people we saw at the beginning of chapter 15, those Christ followers who were so overwhelmed with God and the greatness of God, that, that were so consumed with, with him and his control over all things, that they kept their eyes on him. They kept their focus on God. They, they, they couldn't stop worshiping him. That is who I want to be. I don't want to be a Christ follower consumed with my fear of the mark of the beast or my fear of the end times. I want to be a Christ follower that is so consumed with Christ and, and his love and his care and his goodness and his amazingness that my heart can't stop worshiping him. That is how I want to be marked and that is how I want to be seen. I want to keep being connected to Jesus. And then I have no fear. Again, all your tough questions can go to Ryan at the chapel.family. I just want to keep you know, uh, encouraging that as we go along. Let's jump to the fifth bowl here. The fifth bowl is uh, a bowl of darkness, and this is what Revelation says. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. This says the earth went completely dark. And in a previous bowl, we see that the sun's extreme heat, it caused, it caused pain. Well, I thought darkness seems better than, than the sun, but it isn't because here we read that these people they ground their teeth in anguish. This is God's justice for the sin of slavery. The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites and they caused them to lose their freedom. All throughout history, we have seen the devastation of slavery and how many people, many nations have lost their freedom due to slavery. Even today, in our day and age, we struggle with slavery. We don't talk about it much, and we don't think about it much, but the reality is true, mainly for, for children and women who are being trafficked. And in our communities today, there are people losing their freedom unjustly. And this is painful. God's darkness here in this fifth bowl will do the same thing. The world will experience a misery of losing freedom just like today in the hands of unjust people. But then let's look at bowl number six. This is the bowl of war. It says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River. It dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits, spirits that looked like frogs, leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Those are the three, the, the unholy trinity that we've looked at the past couple of weeks. 
And they are demonic spirits who work miracles. And they go out to all rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. And then it says the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and the, ar- and the armies to place with the he- to a place with the Hebrew name of Armageddon. In this verse, we see this plague of war, and it says the location is going to be Armageddon, the location where the two cosmic forces of good and evil, of God and Satan, are going to come together once and for all, and they're going to have it out. And I'll tell you this much, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, that battle is going to be short, and it's going to be a landslide. I love that. But this plague of war that we see here, it references Adam and Eve all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve made a choice to disobey God. And after they did, what what happened? Well, the first marital fight in the history of the Bible. Adam blamed Eve And Eve blamed Adam, and together they blamed God. And the relationship was broken. Conflict with each other and conflict with God began. And as a result, there's been conflict in relationships marked from that point forward through all history. We we, we see conflict in our marriages. We see conflict in the workplace, in politics, in neighbors, in country versus country. We see all of this in the judgment of war that that we see is, is God showing his disgust for why we have attacked each other with murder, war, pride, slavery from the beginning of time. These choices have destroyed people's lives and, they, and they've destroyed God's glory. And I say this, if God is good, if he's good, if God is, is loving, if God is just, if God is fair, if God is all of those things, then he has to execute justice and make things right. He has to. And that is exactly what he will do to make things right in the end. I'm so grateful for that. But I leave you with this question. It's a question that I wonder, what does this mean for us today? And where do we see God's judgment today? Well, for this I look to this verse in Zephaniah chapter 3. It says, but the Lord is still there in the city and he does no wrong. Day by day, He hands down justice, and he does not fail. But the wicked, no, no shame. This verse implies every day, every single day, God hands down judgment. Sometimes we have the opportunity to see that justice played out. And I think, don't we often celebrate that? When someone gets what they deserve, we want that. Sometimes... Though doesn't it seem that people get away with stuff and we wonder, how can they get away with that? Where's the justice in that? Well, rest assured, according to Scripture, all will eventually see justice in the end, even if we don't see it today. And sometimes, sometimes you and I have the privilege and the responsibility 
to work as agents of God's justice. What's incredible about God's justice here is that God doesn't work on solo mission. He includes us in this process. In fact, again, pastor and author N.T. Wright, he says, one of the beautiful things that distinguishes the Christian idea of justice from others is that it's participatory. We, you and I, Christ follower, are part of bringing it about. Well, what is our part? What are we supposed to do? What is our role in this? Well, I look to Micah to let us know that. And he says, he has shown you, mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's your role. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He says, act justly. Christ follower. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. To be a Christ follower means that we are an agent of God's justice. You and I can't sit on the sidelines and do nothing. We can't be observers in this. We are part of this. So students, you're going back to school. Are there, are there other kids in your class other kids in your sporting teams that are treated unfairly, that are bullied, that are picked on. It is up to us as Christ followers to act justly and to speak up on their behalf. I, I, I mean, adults, you have people at your workplaces, co-workers that are treated unfairly, unjustly. It is up to us to act justly and speak up on their behalf. It's God's desire to make all things right. And he uses us. He will use us, his people, to do so. I think about many of the things that, that are unjust. What about racial injustice? What about injustice towards women? What about injustice towards those, those children and women primarily who are being sex trafficked? It is up to us to act justly as Christ followers and speak up on their behalf to do something about it. It's so easy, and I'm convicted by this. Even as I'm saying this, I'm convicted by it. It's so easy to say, yeah, that's not right. I don't agree with that, but I don't do anything about it. It's up to us to do something about it, to give, to, to pray, to serve, to volunteer, to do those things where we have a part to play in stopping this and helping it. That's our role, and we need to get involved. Being on the sidelines is not an option. God will make all things right in the end, and he uses his people to do so. And if you don't see God's justice, it's probably because you're on the sidelines. Being on the sidelines is not an option. We must get involved. And if you don't know how or where, I tell you, there's a lot of staff here at the chapel or, or even the pastors that would, could, could give you some ideas of even some things right in our neighborhoods where you could get involved to serve as agents of justice because that is our role. We need to do that. You know, as, I, as we close this morning... I know this has been a tough topic. It's always tough to talk about, you know, judgment and wrath and some of these things. It's hard to hear. But, but as we end this time, I, I am overwhelmed. My heart is overwhelmed. Saying, you know what? God does promise to make things right in the end. And, and we see him doing this in chapter 16. And we get to partner with him. It, 
this overwhelms me to see what kind of a loving God we serve. What kind of a God that's full of, of, of justice and fairness we serve. A God of faithfulness. A God, this is the kind of God that I, 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 want to, I want to give my life towards. And I, I think out of all of this, the thing that, that blows me away the most is that, that there's more than that to God. He does something incredible to make things right between us and Him. You know, we, we talk about fairness, but then I go, but Jesus, He died on the cross for me. He took my punishment. That wasn't fair. So as fair as God is, as just as he is, I think I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed with the knowledge that Jesus stepped in to take my punishment. He stepped in to show me a love that I, I, I can't even comprehend. In fact, Paul, he writes it so clearly in, in these verses in Romans. He says, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in the sight when they believe in Jesus. He has made me right. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He became sin who knew no sin. Why? So that I could be made right with God. The, the just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. God doesn't just execute his justice. He paid the price for justice. And that is the God that you and I get to serve. The God that cares that much for us. And because of that, and because of that, I praise him and I worship him, not only for giving us the strength to resist, not only giving us the power to resist, but the, the lengths he has gone through to be just, to be fair, and to pay the price for my sin. How can we not worship this amazing God? Amen. And so I, I close, and I just want to pray the same words that we started with. And let's just pray together. God, you are great and you are marvelous. You are almighty. You are just and true in all your ways. God, who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For, Lord, you alone are holy in all nations, for everywhere they will come and worship before you. For your righteous deeds, Lord, have been revealed. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, stand with me and say this, this benediction together this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, 
and who is still to come. Hey, have a great afternoon. See you next week.